When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bar Humbug, the Christmas movie that frequently tries to take the train home to a loved one's house for Christmas and then finds that none of the buggers are running because basically privatised train companies have run off with all the profits and left the rest of us on cancelled trains. A bit of political humour for you there. We are talking today about a delightful new British Christmas movie, Your Christmas or Mine, uh, which comes out this year. And I'm delighted to be joined to talk about it today by journalist and author Kat Brown. How are you doing, Kat? Oh, I am so full of Christmas cheer. Christmas jumper on, heated gilet on, large humbug sign that I've stupidly put around my neck, but I'm basically like the least humbuggy person in the world, (laughs) particularly in this month. So I think it's just sort of the Christmas tree in the background and Christmassy vibes everywhere. Goodwill to all men. And also thanking God that I don't have to take the train home this year. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Because this is the the whole premise of the film, of course. Um, Okay, so this is the new film from director Jim O'Hanlon. It stars, as I said, Asa Butterfield and Cora Kirk as James and Hayley, respectively. A pair of young lovers who bid each other farewell at Marlebone Station as they head home for their Christmas break. At least that's the plan. But on the platform, as they get on the train, they both think independently, you know what? I'm going to go be with my loved one this Christmas. And both of them swap trains to surprise the other. And both of them therefore arrive at their loved one's family's house with no loved one to kind of soften the blow. And of course, culture clash hilarity ensues. So uh, to tell us a little bit more about it, I am absolutely delighted to be able to welcome Asa Butterfield and Cora Kirk. Asa Butterfield, of course, the star of things like Sex Education, Ender's Game, Hugo, going back a bit. Cora, a relative newcomer. This is her first lead role, although she appeared quite recently in The Devil's Light, a horror movie, but I think not the last of her lead roles based on this performance. So um, here's what they had to say when I talked to them earlier this week on the eve of the film's London premiere. First of all, let me start by saying I really enjoyed this. I thought it was so clever and so funny and I mean, rightly or wrongly, I didn't have hugely high expectations because, you know, you hear Christmas rom-com and you expect, you know, a cookie cutter, same old, same old thing. And this this felt like it had its own energy and its own vibe to it. Oh, that's that's nice to hear. Um, I think we, obviously, we all want that to be the case when you make a movie, but so much changes from reading a script, making it and editing it, you never really know. Um, but we had a lot of faith in Tom's script. I think that's what me and Cora kind of fell in love with and uh i'd never done a christmas film before um and i don't really read i don't know if i've read any christmas scripts but i could tell that this had as you said a kind of real energy and i kind of kind of really believed that these were these families this slight dysfunctional families had these really specific unique christmases that felt very alive and just there and, and, and on the page and um i just could totally picture it and totally believe it so I'm glad that that's uh, they come that's come across in the final thing. And how about you, Corey? Are you a Christmas movies fan in general, or are you a bit more kind of a you know serious minded? Frankly, oh god, I'm both. I love a Christmas film. I like a serious minded film. I guess it depends what what time of the year it is. <laughs> um, no, I 
I love a Christmas film. And like Asa said, when I read the film, when I read the script, because from the script I read at the beginning to the script that we filmed, there were a lot of changes. Mm -hmm. But I guess the heart stayed the same, which is testament to fantastic writing. And Tom Parry, our writer, was so, so like he listened to what we had to say about our characters and he was not proud at all about saying, you know, I've written this. And there was a lot of collaboration on set um, with certain things. Like I remember he sent me an email very early on when I'd just been cast and he said, like, um, you just let me know what you think a 20 year old northerner would say, because I'm not a 20 year old northerner is in Tom. And I was like, I'll let you know. <laughs> you, you've got to get the detail right, don't you? Yeah, you really have to. Um, I've, I'm hoping to talk to Tom actually um, later in the week. But but that is, I think, one of the things that like so many of these films don't have. They don't have frankly a decent script because you know they just sort of like I say they cookie cutter it and they just assume it will work and this is genuinely funny there are actual jokes there are crazy ridiculous but you know believable-ish situations in this I mean I'm not sure some of this stuff was uh was 100 percent uh maybe accurate but what, like what did you think what did you think was I wasn't sure you could get that many people in an ice cream van that was my main takeaway to be honest that's true yeah, <laughs> didn't see the size of this ice cream van. So, no. <laughs> so um, tell me about shooting it. I mean, I'm guessing this was not shot in the winter time. So it was probably quite a weird case of getting yourself in a Christmas mindset at completely the wrong time of year. It, it very much was. We were shot, we started shooting this in August. So about as far away from Christmas as you could get. Um, yeah, there we were surrounded by this sort of snow. Um, <laughs> Covered in, in our Christmas jumpers and our hats, and um, uh, Jim, the director, before every take, would just go shivering. Remember shivering? And to be there, like, oh yeah, got a shiver. Um, and then, but you know, you kind of just have to. Even though it was a bit weird, like getting in the Christmas spirit, we kind of had to. We kind of like, you know what? Why not? Why not have two Christmases? Why not celebrate Christmas? They do that in Australia. Um, so we were singing Christmas songs. We were pulling crackers. We were playing games, trying to kind of keep that festive spirit alive off camera, just to kind of keep, um, to really just be like in it and um, and, and, and uh, enjoy it. Did it make the following Christmas weird last year? Like, did you feel like this is too soon? This is weird. I feel like I was just here already. Or was it okay? No, it was quite nice. It was quite like, to be honest, even though we were filming a Christmas film, it didn't feel like, God, I've got to really G myself up to get into a mindset because the team was so fantastic. The cast was so good. Like everybody from the caterers to our director to our like first and everybody on all the cast. It was so fun to go to work. Like it didn't even feel like work, let alone feel like we've got to be in the mood for Christmas. Like there was so much happiness and joy anyway, which sort of Christmas is for me anyway. Um, It was just great. No, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that you two, you know, don't spend a lot of time together on screen. Like that's the whole point of the movie. But, you know, did did that make it weird? Did you have very separate experiences of the shoot or was there actually quite a lot of kind of crossover and overlap because you were physically close together? I don't know. I think we did have quite different experiences in terms of like actual, like the sort of the content of the scene, the most of the scenes we were doing. But even down to like the the locations and like the lighting and everything, I think that's a big part of the film was having these very distinct uh, Christmas experiences. And I remember sort of sending Cora a picture of all of us like playing games on the kitchen table, and then I got one back, and it's just her like by herself in like a sort of on my own in a toilet with the dog, with all of the lights are dimmed, and there's like a creepy grandfather. <laughs> Um, it almost felt, it did feel a bit like we were making two different movies. Which is funny, then coming to watch it back, there's so much of the film I hadn't seen. So I was just there, like, sort of excited to be like, ooh, I hadn't seen any of it, which is quite rare, I think. And I could totally get uh, lost in that part of the story. Who do you think had, had more fun then? Because, you know. Asa, <laughs> 100% had more scripted fun. <laughs> But I can tell you now, Alex Jennings and David Bradley and Peanut the Dog are the banter kings. We <laughs> had so much outside fun 
Because, you know, like when you're shooting quite serious, I mean, this is my debut, so I can't even say, you know, on my last film, which I did, I can't like, you know, but I've found that when you're shooting something quite serious, there has to be a bit of a lightness around it or else you're just sort of bogged down in like, so actually we would cut and then me and Alex would be like, well, well, I would be like, Aah. and then Alex would be like, yes, 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 and sort of humour me. I actually, I actually found so many of your scenes hysterical, chorus. <laughs> <laughs> the sort of awkwardness of you and Alex really tickled me. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a very different sort of fun than what we were having. We had like the chaotic Christmas, yeah. and you had the really sort of hilariously awkward Christmas that you spend with like your in-laws. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's 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 cool. I mean, who was a greater source of chaos then, the dog, or you know, the two younger brothers, um, Haley's two younger brothers, Aston and Harris. <laughs> they stole they stole every scene they were in. They as did the dog. <laughs> yeah, I, we, they should, they should be the ones on the on, on the carpet tonight. Really, they I are. Hope. They're going to be there. You know, I, don't know. I know Aston and Harris. Yeah, I don't know if but so the dog's real name is Barley, but for we can cut Peanut is the character, the dog character name. But no, there was so much chaos, but he was he was fantastic. The yeah. tenure of dogs, I hear, I hear, is what's being said in the ether. Yeah, and you both had like legendary British character actors to work with. You know, um, you know Alex Jennings, obviously David Bradley, um, Daniel Mays. I mean, it's it's a stacked sort of a film. It really is. No, totally. I think. Yeah, it's so lucky with um, the cast people together. So a lot of it is such a kind of ensemble piece um, and to see all of these legends kind of come together in this really wholesome movie. Um, they're part of these two very different families, but seeing them all together at the end, being one kind of big family was uh, was really sweet. And um, I think everyone just wanted to have a really good time and enjoy the kind of Christmas spirit. I think that was such a big part of this film was just everyone enjoying themselves and having a bit of a laugh and trying to really show that on, on screen. Absolutely. So do you have any thoughts on sort of British Christmas movies versus American ones? Because it feels like we have, we're still into the whole, you know, feel good, you know, comic, romantic, lovely, uplifting Christmas movies. But I feel like there's a little bit more of a, maybe an edge here or a little bit more of a kind of cynicism is too strong a word, but a little bit of kind of more awareness than some of the American ones what do you think i think yeah i think christmas because christmas is while it is generally a very festive and happy time of year it can be really difficult for people and and families have their cracks and their flaws and it would be sort of ignorant to not show any of that and if anything you can really add to the movie by addressing that and then seeing how christmas can bring people together at the end of the day so that again is sort of just brilliant writing by Tom is uh, not letting it fall too far into the kind of sentimental world um, and keeping it light, but not not kind of just like um, covering everything with a with a sort of powdered sugar and, and, and making it all uh, whatever it is. But um, yeah, yeah it's, we managed to juggle a few different things. Um, and I don't know whether that's the Britishness or whether that's just um, the writing or, or, or what it was, but it has some depth to it that you don't necessarily always see in a Christmas film I think yeah Cora how about you do you agree I mean I love the American Christmas films because you know when you watch them you know what you're getting yourself in for so I love the powdered sugar I love the like sort of chaotic perfectness that they have and what we have is just chaotic chaoticness I don't know I feel like our film is so beautiful in the sense that it has that reality that is realistic to a Northern family and a Southern family roundabout. Like there should be something in both families that everyone can relate to. And I don't know, I feel like maybe some Americans can relate to the. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they can. Yeah, of course. I'd love to go to America at Christmas just to like go to New York and because you know even like talking about it there's that sort of like bubbling like oh my god wow imagining imagine going to New York at Christmas but imagine going to Manchester at Christmas I mean I know my my character's from Macclesfield but I'm from Manchester and turning the Christmas lights on like that is an event that people should travel to see so I mean 
it's much of a muchness, really. It's pretty much the same, honestly. There should be more Christmas films in Manchester. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I have to ask, I mean, you mentioned powdered sugar. What did they use for the snow? Was it that white, papery, weird stuff? God, I wish it was powdered sugar. Yeah, it was the white, papery stuff. And there was yes. a moment on one day, I remember, where we were shooting and it was really windy. And obviously the, the snow guys, I think they're called, I think they're called the snow are they called the snow guys? Yeah, I think they are. I think that's literally their company name. Snow guys. Snow guys. Let's say it's called, they're called the snow guys. Um, obviously, you have to position all the cannons. to. And um, we were shooting and it was late at night and the snow was going sideways. Oh, and the director was going, cut, cut, the snow isn't going down. So then they'd try and reposition it. But because of literally the elements the snow's just sort of going upwards and sort of sideways. And the snow became a bit of a character of its own in some of the scenes I was shooting because I did a lot lot outside running. Like, in my head, what was an action shot of me running across a field, which actually doesn't look as cool as that. <laughs> it never does. Only only Tom Cruise can run and look cool on film. Like, that's the rule, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I've got a couple of sort of general Christmas questions that I sort of ask everybody uh, on this show, but but I also have to ask. I mean, have you guys had this experience? Have you guys had the experience of going to the in-laws for Christmas yet? Is that is that something that you've been through? Have you survived okay? Yes, yes I had it a few years ago, and me and my partner had been together for two months. We hadn't been together for that long, and he said, "Do you want to come to mine for Christmas?" And I was like, "Yes." And my parents dropped me off at a petrol station for my partner to pick me up, and my mum was like who is this guy? Like, cause they'd never met him before. And he turns up in this bat- battered old Subaru and he's like, hi. <laughs> my mum's like, phew, he's not an actor. And then my parents came to stay with his parents. So that was a few years ago now, but um, no, we survived. I, it was, it was terrifying because it was not dissimilar to the film, like big, big house, white family, me sort of like, oh yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, so I took a lot of stuff from my own life to take, to bring to the film. <laughs> there you go. It all adds in. Yeah. It all adds up. <laughs> what about you, Issa? Have you been to uh, not. No, my Christmas is uh, so far I've been spent um, with uh, with my family. You know, it has, it has its own chaos in its own right. Um, where I'm with my mum. My mum's parents are from Yorkshire. So we're either up there with them up north or uh, with my dad in Southampton, which is where his parents are from. Um so we have a both a, north, a very northern and a, and a southern Christmas sort of wrapped together in one. Nice. You're kind of covering all the bases for the film as well. So that's that's pretty good. So, okay. So here are the questions I ask everybody. What are the Christmas films that you have to watch every year? Is there one that you're like, it's not Christmas until I've seen? I, I'm going to be a bit of a Grinch here. I don't <gasps> have a real solid Christmas movie that encapsulates Christmas for me or even sort of my family like we often do watch a film but it's not one it's not necessarily got to be a christmas film no true but if i had to pick my favorite christmas movie i do I'm, i really like die hard and i know people, sure. some people argue this christmas film but i think it i think it is die hard's great uh home alone again. a classic yeah cora how about you what's your what's your go-to do you have one Oh God, yeah. Mine's The Grinch. Hands down The Grinch. I could watch that film not at Christmas and I actually think I did over lockdown. Okay, other ones. What Christmas traditions do your family have that are unusual? Are there any, Is there anything you do that isn't like your friends' houses or whatever else? You know, some people open a present the night before or eat a particular food on Christmas Day or whatever. Um, we, my family love their games. So usually at least one person, usually more than one, is getting some sort of game or board game for Christmas. And so we spend a lot of time on Boxing Day learning how to play and playing through a few of these new games we've collected. And all the good ones we take home and all the shit games we've got, we leave at my grandparents for like the next year. <laughs> um, so uh, we love our games. We're very competitive. We've got lots of uh, lots of young kids running around, which has its own kind of chaos built into it. Outside of that, it's quite typical drinking, singing songs, eating, eating lots of food. I'm actually getting a bit hungry thinking about it. Yeah, it's about the people really, isn't it? How about you, Cora? 
We have a Christmas tradition that I think my brother stole from a film or a song. But when he, we were a lot younger, my brother is an incredibly talented musician. So he would, and we had a piano on our landing. So he would play some sort of Christmas tinkle at like 7am and then shout, it's Christmas, really loudly. And I'm sure that is from something. And that's not an original Kirk family tradition. He I mean, that's... That seems pretty original. I mean, the show, the show of its Christmas is from, is it Slade, that song, I guess? Yes. But the, the playing the piano to wake everybody up on Christmas morning, that's that's pretty awesome. It was pretty, well, I mean, as I got older, I was like, uh, what is <laughs> But for him, because he's a bit younger than me, yeah, no, that really did encapsulate Christmas. Actually, you, you just remind me of another thing we used to do, not so much anymore. Do you remember, did you ever look at the NORAD Santa Tracker? Yeah! Remember that? You see where he was. He went to bed. You're like, oh, he's over, like, sort of Egypt or something. Yeah, Egypt. (laughs) It was always Egypt. Do you know what that is? I do. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's still, it must still be going. Oh, it's still going. Yeah, my my small my small nephew and niece were transfixed by it last year. Absolutely transfixed. So. Do that this year. Yeah, we've got cousins who are still pretty young, so we'll be getting that out for sure. That's awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much. Best of luck with the film, and uh, yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Hello, I'm Kate Lever, host of Who's a Good Dog, the podcast for anyone who's ever loved a dog. We're one of the other podcasts in the Stripped Media family. Each episode, I ask a brilliant person to introduce me to their dog and tell me how having a dog has changed their life. Listen to Who's a Good Dog wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so that was Asa Butterfield and Cora Kirk. Kat, what did you think of this film? Well, I loved it, actually. I really loved it to the extent that I'm actually quite cheesed off not to actually be on a call with them both. So I can basically just trill lovingly about how much I enjoyed it, whilst at the same time being quite relieved not to be on a call, being as I am covered in Christmas tat. Um, <laughs> I, I, I Honestly, I, I just don't know when things land on streaming services anymore. It just seems to be absolute hit and miss. And to be honest, I was so thrilled to get the heads up about your Christmas or mine because it wasn't that I particularly wanted to you know watch Christmas films or something but I wasn't feeling very well and was just feeling like quite sort of sluggish and low and just like all I wanted was to sort of watch the equivalent of a lukewarm bath and um, (laughs) I mean that delivered the lukewarm bath element and more it is Given the, I think given the amount of um, chat that Love Actually gets every year for being, you know, problematic, a bit crap. Uh, there's a lovely Instagram with uh, Scarlett Curtis lightly mocking her dad over what exactly Kira Knightley's character did for a living. If anything, interior designer, apparently. Um, so actually having something like this, which was really funny, really well scripted, like far better performed and better cast that it had any need or right to be. And got pretty much all of the annoying Christmassy things pretty much correct, but still left just enough uh, conversations about, well, I'm sorry, but Kemble doesn't actually go direct to Macclesfield or indeed anywhere. And it doesn't have these nice <laughs> signs and and uh, all of that sort of things. My husband uh, is from that area. Um, it Yeah, it was just I really, really, really enjoyed it to the extent that I watched it last night. Uh, I think the only thing that didn't go down well in the house was Peanut the dog, which my dog Sybil took extreme, extreme opposition to and grumbled and barked every time Peanut had the temerity to be on screen. I mean, in fairness to Peanut the dog, I feel like we should make clear to two listeners that Sybil takes exception to almost any dog on the television, I believe. And and so this is not unique. This is not a reflection, perhaps, on Peanut's performance, uh, Peanut, which might still have been convincing. No, exactly. Peanut did an excellent job of being a dog and being a spoiled country dog as well. It was fabulous. And no, um, 
Sybil's biggest on-screen nemesis are actually on-screen raccoons, which turn up quite a lot, weirdly, in Christmas films, particularly stuff like Elf. That's true, yes. So, okay, so no no to raccoons, no, in fact, to Peanut the Dog, but also yes to Peanut the Dog, who is a very good dog. I'm really intrigued by the the railway-ness of this. I do feel like that's um, important to to reference for people because I, I love, you know, plot holes in in silly films that don't care about minor plot holes and uh, and yeah that that one seems like a sort of important thing to say that you you can't go direct presumably she's planning on changing or they're both planning on changing to get home but uh, the, the film certainly doesn't make it clear so my uh, my my learned friend uh, slash uh, nerdy train obsessive husband uh, said well actually you'd have to go from Victoria if you wanted to go to Kemble um, oh, no. nobody nobody wants to go from Victoria at Christmas I think no. they did a very good job choosing Marlebone which also looked far nicer than Marlebone ever has at Christmas as as far <laughs> as I can remember um thinking of those sort of little inac- inaccuracies slash accuracies though I was so thrilled to see a genuinely good uh, newspaper headline they had the um, they had the big blocks up for the evening standard and it was snow Xmas travel chaos and that sort of thing so even though you know they probably wouldn't have had the snow on there I'm reminded of a news editor of mine years ago who very cheerfully just said oh write another travel piece everyone has weather it's literally the most (laughs) popular stories on it's it's why the express is always doing stories about snow every two seconds because everybody's obsessed with it so it's relatable yeah well Speaking of relatable, I mean, my God, look at this segue. Speaking of relatable, it feels like this is is a more relatable, you know, hook for a Christmas movie than most. I feel like most people, at some point in your adult life, you have the experience of going to your loved one's family's house for the first time, experiencing their Christmas instead of your own, experiencing all the kind of culture clash that that can bring. Um, and the only sort of uh, twist on it, I suppose, here is, of course, that both of them have the same idea at once to switch trains. So you have no kind of insulation when you get there. No, absolute nightmare. Um, I have to say, even though I was in my 30s when I did get eventually get married, I was not actually permitted to um, spend Christmas away from my family until... Oh, God. Yeah, pretty much until I was engaged, actually, as though I was sort of like some insane fairy princess trapped in the attic. Um, No, my family have got very strict rules about uh, Christmas and similar. Um, I did once bring a boyfriend over, which on reflection was a horrendous mistake, because I just think Christmas Day, there is something about it that, that turns everybody slightly insaner than usual. And it just dials up everything specific to a family's idiosyncrasies to... 100. And actually, the last couple of years with COVID have been quite nice because it's meant, well, it's not nice at all, actually. I missed Christmas last year because we got COVID, but it's meant that there's been a wonderful excuse to skip that sort of festivity at somebody else's house. And I, th- I think they did such a lovely job of showing exactly how mad and singular each family is for I- incredibly different reasons, whilst also sort of eventually making it quite quite welcoming and quite soft. And I mean, that bit in in itself is obviously completely unrealistic about families at Christmas. Uh, There was no war being waged. I didn't understand this at all. But I thought they they did all of that so, so well. Uh, It was just really, really lovely. Yeah, I thought that was that was beautifully done. And it it does feel like, you know, I, I think, okay, this is something that we should definitely talk about, because a lot of British films, especially if they're made with an international market in mind, Um, do play up the number of British people you meet who come from the extremely moneyed upper class. You know, I'm thinking of literally any American children's film that takes place in the UK, they will meet a member of the aristocracy. That is a guarantee. That is locked in. You can take that to the bank, you know. Um, I mean, from Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, to um, what was that one where uh, Colin Firth was the long lost father? Mamma Mia. (laughs) I mean, also that, yes. But, But there's always, there's always, always, always upper class uh, element in these in these kind of films but it's nice that this at least balances that out with what is a recognizably normal british family you know they live in a normal terraced house they have normal very cute very colorful decorations but you know that feels like the people you yeah. pass in the street every day 
Yeah, completely. I mean, I love that they don't live in bloody Notting Hill or somewhere. Um, there's actually a, there's a skit going around on Instagram at the moment um, by somebody pretending to own a bookshop in Trafalgar Square. And it's like, yes, of course, oh, yes. that's the most Christmas film ever. And then just ap- applying more and more and more scarves. I, th- I think that's it, really, isn't it? It's a cosy family who all get completely over the top about Christmas um, in that way that so, so many people do, um, throwing all of the decorations to the outside of the house and seeing what sticks. There's actually uh, houses near where my parents live. And every time I go home for the holidays, um, I have to slow down my already incredibly slow car just to sort of actually do a little drive by of the section mm-hmm. that has these incredibly ornate, full on bright not tasteful at all because that's not no. that's not what Christmas lights are about. No, it's it's all of that, and I love that this family also had that like the tailors all had their personalised t-shirts and that sort of thing, and they obviously have all of their the drinks that they have, the drinks that Nan and Grandpa have, and and all of their like the games. Like um, when Haley rings up and she's like, "Oh, are you playing Christmas Eve games?" and she's like, "Well, yeah, we we do that all the time. We we have to like you not being here and having." got lost somewhere does not mean that this tradition is not going to happen and i just yeah all of the all of the chats that they had around the dinner table when james slash gilet as he is just brilliantly nicknamed sort of goes around there is just it's all spot on because I, I think along with that idea that hollywood certainly would have that every british person must basically sound like me i mean i don't even know how i sound like me it's just a horrible accident caused by watching too many richard curtis films as a child my family don't really sound like me but the the screenwriter tom parry i was so thrilled when i saw him on there because in like about 15 20 years ago i used to see him on the comedy circuit all the time in the sketch group pappy's fun club who are now pappy's Uh, and do a lot for Radio 4 and everything. And I think he does a brilliant job of making it completely accessible while also putting enough specific references in there to just make it even more fun. And Mm. all of the stuff with the ridiculous... Uh, posh family home and everything it just it just all works really really brilliant yeah I I thought that was I thought that was lovely I also love um, Daniel May's character uh, selling frozen turkeys out of of an ice cream van I mean that is that is entrepreneurship uh, invention and uh, and forward thinking right there but but yeah it is an interesting contrast isn't it with the with Alex Jennings' character and with the with the posh family home, um, you know, it's 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 probably a truism and, and a bit of a cliche, especially at Christmas, to sort of say that money doesn't equal happiness. That it's not about how much you spend; it's about you know the the, the love available. But but it's it's a nice illustration of an idea that is a, per, a perennial classic for a reason. It is, and they've done this brilliantly in the casting as well. I mean, along with Alex Jennings and, uh, of course, Harriet Walter as Iris, the wonderful housekeeper, who's just far too posh to be a housekeeper, just amazing. You've already got two reasons there to lock in 90% of Middle England parents. And certainly when I was telling all my family to go and watch this on WhatsApp the other week, those two were the names that I led with to get my parents on board. And yeah, they snapped that up. But then, of course, you've got Angela Griffin, you've got Dan Daniel Mays, you've got, I'm going to mispronounce her surname horribly, and I really do apologise for this, uh, Natalie Gumedi, but from Corrie, Strictly 2013, and uh, my favourite, which was Free Rain. Netflix is truly abysmal and yet completely enchanting Pony Girl series. Uh, in which she played the mum. Uh, she plays Auntie Kay here, Special Kay. And uh, yeah, just an absolutely iconic turn. Uh, the sexy, glamorous aunt that, well, I mean, if not every family Christmas has one as glamorous as Natalie, uh, they mm. certainly have one who thinks they're as glamorous as Natalie. And horrifyingly, <laughs> I think this year, that role falls to me. Do it. You you have a, such a fabulous collection of capes for anyone out there who doesn't know Cat. <laughs> you you could absolutely nail the sexy auntie role. It's going to be amazing. And yeah, I, I didn't we didn't I didn't even mention when, when I uh, talked about them, but like David Bradley in there as well. I mean, talking about classing up the joints, um, and, and I thought that little rug pull uh, in the story was was really clever. You know, you think he's the almost rough, gruff gamekeeper type, but turns out to be a little bit more con- uh, closely connected to the. Uh, to the family after all that was so so nice um to my absolute horror i realized i'd completely confused david bradley with another actor and was genuinely surprised that he was there because i thought he had died uh so extremely pleased that he hadn't he was bloody great in this it's such a lovely turn i think 
um, Paris script gives lots and lots of people like good things to do. Like particularly in the country house, there are all these lovely little uh, one-on-one scenes, either where Haley's been mistaken as a potential cleaner or just uh, when she gets drunk on sherry and does the world's best job of uh, illicitly decorating um, mm. a room. Uh, like there's no broken baubles or anything. She just absolutely goes for it. And that wonderful awkward dinner scene with um, between her and James's father, uh, Humphrey. There is actually uh, a very famous comedian called Humphrey who is now in the, I won't say Wessex, but that's not, the Wexford football documentary. Yes. Well, interestingly, we have an interview with uh, with Tom Parry and uh, you, you're going to hear some more about Humphrey there. So you have... <laughs> You, let me say that you have put your finger on something and people will see just how right oh, you are. I'm very, very pleased. Uh, no Huberts, though. I did spend too long on Wikipedia trying to see where, like, if there were any lords or even <laughs> English people called Huberts. Thank God, no, um, because it's just oh, well done. awful, 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 awful. But I did, again, love when um, poor old Haley is sitting at the dinner table and the only thing that she's got that's vaguely smart, which seems to be some of James's like uh, black tie clothes and she's trying to pretend to Humphrey that she is a, you know a legitimate soldier that they're both in training at Sandhurst rather than in training at the Guildhall School of Drama and um, and yet yeah, referencing again that 99 ice cream truck that her dad has and saying that uh, oh yes the mountain troop 99 regiment SAS arctic survival experts and it just gets more and more and more absurd which is a, a sort of a very specific level of English comedy that I just I think I just never expect to see in a Christmas film, um, mm-hmm. certainly not one made for as wide of an audience as something from Amazon, um, even though it's wonderfully funny. But it's just because everything just seems to get blanded down and have any kind of edges or or absurdity sort of ground down. And I part of me wonders whether it's the down to the success of Ghosts and the surprisingly excellent uh, US version, which is still like deeply eccentric like probably much nicer than the BBC version, but whether that has sort of made people a little bit more comfortable about just leaning into like true British silliness. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think there's been, I feel like maybe the, the screening, you know, wars and this kind of glut of content, if you will, or content, an awful word, uh, that we're all sort of reckoning with now does mean that you are actually better standing out for some reason. You're better being idiosyncratic and eccentric and and you know, individual than going for some kind of, you know, theoretical common denominator, because it feels like, you know, people are ex- excited about and um, and really engaging with, you know, the kind of the stuff that's a little bit more off the wall and a little bit more, uh, yeah, interesting and weird, you know. Yeah, that's something that we saw really effectively done in the summer with Fire Island, which is that sort of very loose reinterpretation of Pride and Prejudice. And I think that was done for Hulu and then turned up on on Disney Plus. But that, again, it was it was so not catering to the heterosexual gaze, which was just lovely because, you know, a lot of films where, you know, oh, gay characters have been lucky enough to be cast are, are very generally quite sort of sexless which is absolutely mm. not the case with fire island and while there's um apart from like incidents in the hot tub uh, an apparent total lack of sex in this film largely because the two romantic leads are apart for pretty much the whole thing it's it is just still such a lovely Thing where you look at a film and you're like, yeah, I'm ticking off every single cliche. The opening credits are literally a very bad CGI snowflake fluttering down through London to Marlebone Station. Wonderful. You can tick off every, every single cliche that you want to see, but also it is singular. There is brilliant writing in it. The cast is fantastic. And there are enough actual twists for you to sort of be like, oh, oh, that's I had to almost use my brain for a minute. I, I did actually have to use my brain. Um, and stuff that you did, didn't see coming, which is lovely, and which does give me hope that this this will have longevity and find its place in the annual canon as it really deserves to. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think I think it should, and and I love that they managed to find, or Tom, I guess Tom and, and Jim, the, the the writer and director, managed to find something for the love story in this, you know, even while keeping the two leads apart for most of the running time there, you know, basically both of them learn things about each other that they did not previously know and pretty essential 
core things that they need to know if this relationship is going to go forward. And I thought that was was really beautifully played. And I thought that, you know, throwing the sort of grenade, if you like, of of Steve's character, that's Lucien Levicount, who um, who we know probably from Emily in Paris, but like, don't tell anyone we watched Emily in Paris. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, he he just sort of comes into the middle just when you think you know where Haley is at least and then sort of seems to mess that up for a minute. And I thought that was a, a really nice way to kind of just raise the stakes a little bit and get you genuinely worried for the, these two crazy kids if they were going to figure it out um, at the end of the day. Yeah, genuinely worried for Haley and her family because Steve seems to be completely mental. Um, but it was also that nice way of sort of bringing in the the habitual boyfriend, if you like, that so many people have through school, through sixth form, and then, you know, you go to you go to study away or you go to start on a different course or path or apprenticeship or something. And then even with the best of intentions, your lives do sort of part and that go. I remember actually having an incredibly cheerful conversation with my like beloved boyfriend of, of two years at sixth form. And we were both very much cheerfully like, right, shake hands, off we go, university, bye, have fun, bye-bye which was excellent. Uh, thinking thinking of how long, in heavily inverted commas, um, James and Haley have been together, that bit at the beginning was just absolute classic, uh, sort of 18, 19 year olds when they, they, they've been dating for what, like two months? Like literally yeah, two like months. Yeah, two, three months, like, yeah. Do you know what? This would be a great idea for us to go home and meet, meet each other's families at the most stressful point of of the year, like at all um yeah why not and let's just turn up as a surprise because people who've been you know wrestling with ingredients and food prices and everything and how many bedrooms and where the hell everybody's going to sleep they just love extra people turning up it's just like no there's a reason why mary and joseph had to go through quite so many innkeepers before finding somewhere to stay and then it only being in a stable this is just not the time of year to randomly turn up but at the same time it's a very deeply teenage thing to do because you know they're the only people that matter although actually at the other end of the scale when Haley is first on that train i adored the naughty and nice older couple yes just gorgeous i mean who doesn't love like old people in love i mean it's when Harry met Sally all over again, but uh, much more British and significantly less charmingly New York Jewish. Um, although if we could find anybody like that on the train to Macclesfield, that would also be amazing. <laughs> it really would. Yeah, no, they they were super good. It's just it's all the little incidental characters as well. Her little brothers, fantastic, absolutely delightful. Grandparents, fantastic, delightful. I, I just think it, it it's like you said, it's very well written, very well cast, and a lot more fun than it. You know, no, probably looked like on paper. Calling calling the the young kids Anton Deck, and because of you know parents names you know Anthony and Declan, and not really realizing until it was just too late is gorgeous. It's just such a lovely, just a lovely little sort of throwaway. And all these other little ones. There was one line that did sound quite familiar from somewhere else, possibly. Maybe not Penny Dreadfuls, which is Humphrey Kerr's um, former sketch troupe, which is excellent. But I'm not gay. I'm just a really good actor. Just like that <laughs> tone and everything just sort of really struck at me. Also, James's habit of sort of just going into a random Scottish accent whenever forced to improvise. Um, just mm. again, just such a lovely little silly, silly quirk. And um, and the dad as well, going on and on about a tadukan, but one that has a goose in it. And it's like, so it's not a tadakan at all. It's a tadakus or something like that. Yes, because I was, I kind of tripped over that when I was watching it as well. And I was one that was like, wait, am I defining a tadakan wrong or is he? Because it's in the name, right? It's a turkey, a duck and a chicken. But but I, I genuinely, that made me question myself. That made me question myself. I'm like, I'm, was was he joking? He seems very sure of himself, you know, and I just trust Daniel Mays. So I assume he's right. I mean, but Helen, I am actually wrong, questioning right? you quite a lot because of all of my <laughs> friends and associates and, you know, grimly brought together comrades. You are a fantastic cook. You adore Christmas. And not once in the many years that you and I have been friends, have you ever made a tadukan? For me, let alone you know, anybody else, as far as I you know. You know what, I've let you down. Goose. 
You have. I I know. I've I've let you down. I've let myself down, and I will I will sort this out. In down I as have well. Let the I would like to publicly apologise to all the Bar Humbug listeners um, <laughs> <laughs> for my lack of traducan. I will sort this out in the near future. All right. Did you have any any sort of uh, quibbles with the film apart from the the train lines? I was worried that not. I would. I think you would struggle to fit that many people in an ice cream van. Um, Absolutely But that correct. was my major note. Um, unless they sort of like bathe in the sort of little ice cream freezers or something. And um, also, I did look this up on um, on Google Maps. I couldn't get Waze up in the time, which is much more reliable, as anybody who's been in an Uber will know. Um, it does actually take about two hours 45 to drive from Kemble to Macclesfield. So I actually dread to think how long it would have taken them in a tractor. And also, mm. when did the ice cream van leave on Christmas Day to go down? Because if they got there by... Uh, it was sort of light when they left, so probably about 8 a.m. But then, uh, you know, Haley and Co. and Humphrey and Peanuts and Grandpa were just sort of leaving sort of when they got there. So yeah, not quite sure what the, over, the oversight of that was. Um, and then again, it's, it's really just uh, they made Kemble Station look far more beautiful than it actually is. Because, again, it's Christmas. I have absolutely nothing to do. So I spent quite a long time on Instagram looking at Kemble Station, which does not appear to have Mark Heap's very beautiful railway conductor cabin. And mm. also just has very boring sort of southwest trains, Aviva, like oh. the traditional Kemble in boring typeface. So, yeah, I totally see why they replaced that to make it look a bit more beautiful. Yeah, it looked full on railway children, I think, the yeah. way they shot it, which is much more Christmassy. Yeah. And then the last thing, basically, is that for Gloucestershire, the architecture of the absolutely beautiful house, which, praise Jeebus, is an actual real place. Um, I think it's called Dawn Court. Anyway, it's over by Windsor, which explains why it's significantly more Gothic. It's more it's more Berkshire than Gloucestershire. Um, but actually... <laughs> Like Gloucestershire houses are all that sort of stereotypical honey, basically just like lumps of stuff with some windows attached to it. And for that sort of more austere feel with all of the like topiary and, and everything going on and just for that sort of woo, um, feeling. Yeah, that that extremely large and extremely excellent house, uh, which they also filmed in and got to borrow all the portraits for seemed um, exactly, exactly the right one. And I would I would be very happy to go and stay there on like quite a posh Airbnb to be honest I I would I would not object I will I will take that posh Airbnb with you Tom Parry talked about the decision to have Christmas not in the obvious close at hand gigantic house with the giant larder full of stuff but back in Macclesfield at the family home um and and I think from a maybe from an emotional, if not an Airbnb point of view, I guess it makes sense for this film to go to the warmest, coziest Christmas possible. It does. And it also makes sense to go back to the Christmas where they've forgotten an elderly relative. OK, yes, true. Yes, that was it. But I'm, <laughs> yeah, I loved that they just crammed everybody around the table. And I think like. If you've ever, if you've ever, like Helen, I know that your family is quite big and very welcoming and jolly. Not that I've ever uh, invited myself for Christmas, but maybe You're you know, welcome, I'll just, Kat. I'll just, I'll just do that. I'll just get on the wrong train, Helen, all the way to Northern Ireland. <laughs> um, but there is something I think about about people who've been through, uh, and not to bring it down, of course, but you know, the, the big tragedy in this film is again another one of Christmas cinema's well-worn tropes, which is, oh no, they killed the mother. Ah. Oh. Oh, dear. Anyway, so the mother um, of James slash Hubert, who has been dead for the past four years, she died on Christmas Day. Of course she did. Um, or was it Christmas Eve? Either way, either way, very, very bad. Um, but it's I think it's really lovely that they do sort of go to this proper, like, cosy, no airs, no graces, but still loads and loads of joy. Um, and no airs and no graces is always sort of used as a terrible, like, British euphemism for, oh, it's a bit common, isn't it? And it just it's just lovely. They're just sitting there with all of their crackers and drinks. And, you know, nobody's going to run out of drink until you know they're all sort of passed out in front of Strictly on the sofa a few hours later. Um, but it is a really nice ending because it also shows that the spirit of Christmas is the most important thing. Not having a bloody big house with some dog food and maybe a bit of a fire going, because also yeah. just the a lovely realistic touch there again was Haley rocking up and going this this house is just not warm at all we're not letting yeah. all the good heat out there's no heat in this house it's awful no heat 
Yeah, those houses are always cold. She's one hundred percent right, and 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 so are you. I mean, I think it's, you know, it gives um, it gives James and his dad, I think, a chance to maybe reset and redefine how they think about Christmas after that tragedy. And I think that's a really important. Helen, moment. I don't mean to sound like Tom's patronising aunt, but I'm so so bloody thrilled for him and so proud for Carisley. I don't know him at all. I literally just uh, from seeing him uh, in very very good comedy things over the years, but. I think one of the lovely things about this film is that it is bringing more like fantastic British comedy talent to the forefront and letting them do something fun. I mean, you can obviously tell there's bits where it's all been reined in a bit and where it could, it was perhaps started off a bit sillier, but it's really, really exciting and just lovely. And yes, having Humphrey on, on the, fo- the football show, she says, keeping forgetting which part of Wales, Wales it is. I've actually watched Rex- it. Wrexham? Wrexham, I want to say Wrexham. Thank you, my God. Yeah. Yeah, with Ryan Reynolds and co. is, again, just madness. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's so lovely seeing everybody doing so well. Yes. Yay for everybody, quite frankly. <laughs> and yay... Yay for you, Kat Brown, as well. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, you, I, I should I should mention that you know, in, in addition to all your journalism work, which people can see on if they follow you on social media on on Instagram and Twitter and all the rest. Um, but you, you've also got a book coming up. No one talks about this stuff, which is which is really important. I think it's it's not going to be twenty twenty three now, is it? It's just going to be just no, into twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four. Um, yeah. Actually, I on a vaguely Christmassy note, I read The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper for the first time the other week. Amazing. But I was just so surprised by the way that they just threw into the story the fact that Will's mother had lost one of her children at a really young age, which was how Will ended up being the seventh son of a seventh son. And he was just so surprised. Like I had no idea I had a brother who died. And they were like, oh, yes, Tom, he's got a Christmas decoration, all that sort of stuff. And um, and my book is a collection of people's experiences about infertility, baby loss and all that and all that sort of stuff, which is, you know, unfortunately for a lot of people, the real bittersweet shitter of Christmas. And again, another reason that, you know, I haven't really celebrated Christmas for the last three years because I just haven't wanted to. But you know, this year I am really, really excited about going, spending time with my very small nieces who will be disgracefully excited. I'm going to dress Sybil up as a polar bear carrying an elf and then um, keep keep her a safe distance away from the small children because they are still a little bit uncertain about her. But yeah, it's, I think just as we need lovely Christmas films like this, just to lift the spirits and also sort of, you know, rebalance us a little bit, even if we're watching this while gargling in chocolate, as I certainly did, just to remind us about, you know, the reason for the season as one of those terrible things. And, and yeah, when no one talks about this stuff comes out, it's not, you know, the most sexy idea, but it's also not the sad book in huge capitals. And it will be there as a support group for the people who do need it. And also perhaps for people who just want to find out a bit more about what they're you know, friends and family are going through because, you know, I'm editing it. I've had my own particular experience, but obviously my experience is completely different to loads of other people in the book. And so it's incredibly helpful for me as well to get a, a better idea of how I can be, you know, less of a dick and more helpful um, to people that I know who are going through difficult stuff. Uh, but it's also going to be supremely well written and it will at least be funny in some parts. So keep an eye out for that in bookshops 2024 at some point. Absolutely. So yeah, no one talks about the stuff it's going to be. I think it's going to do a lot of good because I think a lot of people need to talk about this stuff, quite frankly. But um, but yeah, in the meantime, you know, happy Christmas this year. Happy 2023. Thanks for joining us. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks also to Asa Butterfield and to Cora Kirk. I'll see you next time. Cheers. Merry Christmas. Make that to Duckin. <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! heard a stripped media production 